some of the airlines have got with the FAA to address um, the inexperience levels of the yeah, it was flowing a- into the airlines. And yep. yeah, this is a this is a thing that's happening right now. The, 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 there's a huge Wall Street Journal article that just came out. Yeah, about about that and about how inexperienced some of the captains are at, at some of the airlines and that these were corporate pilots, but that all the, the airlines draw from the corporate world and then they hire less and less expense, experienced people because that's all that's available, you know. Hello, aviators. Welcome back to the Profile Playbook podcast, where we bring you the knowledge and tools to enable you to become a pilot faster and cheaper. I'm Sean Ritchie. And I'm Mike Martin. And uh, we took a took a break there for a couple weeks with, uh, I don't know, had all kinds of stuff going on. November, traditionally, at least for me in the Air, the business jet management world, the last couple of years, November has been our busiest month. And this November, uh, for the company I'm working at right now, this is on record our busiest November ever. Actually, just yesterday, which was uh, Thursday, November 9th, may have been our busiest day in the company's history. Wow. Uh, yeah, it all- looks like you're, where are you at now? It looks like you're in a Marriott or something. Uh, I am in a Hilton garden Inn, and, uh, I'm out in Napa, California. Oh, nice. So I'm on the road. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Um, I'm on the road here till, till Sunday and. Oh, okay. Cool. Cool. Sitting around here a little bit. Yeah. Have a chance to finally record one of these things. Yeah. Yeah. And we did let the viewers know too. We start our live coaching sessions for our, our course members that, that choose to do that. And that's going really well. So we have been keeping up on that weekly. Um, got a lot of great, great customers in that. And we're actually getting great just finished podcast one. ideas. Yeah. Just, just finished one. Yeah. Uh, just been up with them. And it's actually going to, it's given us great uh, podcast material too, because, uh, you know, they're asking a lot of questions and we're learning about their, their progress. So yeah, yeah. Hopefully some, some good content coming forward from that. We've got a, a lot of uh, people uh, that are looking into how to start their training at different schools. And then they're bringing their weekly feedback about their interactions with interviewing these different schools. So uh, hopefully within a short period of time, we'll have some good information on that stuff. Yeah. Maybe it specifically, uh, one of the folks in the coaching call program is, uh, possibly, well, he did all the research. He's going with American flyers rather than yeah. ATP, which is eight American flyers is ATP's biggest competitor. So right. we're, uh, probably going to put a show together on that comparing the two. And uh, I think that would be some really good, useful information for you guys. Right, right. And yeah, we're helping people work through some second career stuff, some some uh, you know medical issues and things like that. So uh, yeah, it's all good, good information that that we'll be able to share with anybody. We're, we're talking about maybe even filming one of these coaching sessions because uh, there's a lot of questions that get answered just by watching it. You know, but uh, but what but, do we uh, got? What yeah, do we got this- for a topic? Yeah, this week's episode, we, you know, I'm sitting in a hotel room. It's been crazy busy. Um, I don't want to portray this as us being lazy or something because it's totally not the case. It's just every time <laughs> you turn around, there's something else on fire. Um, 
But, uh, you know, we thought we put together something with some of these crazy aviation stories that have been coming out the last couple of weeks yes. from, from people doing psychedelic drugs while jump seating in the cockpit of an airliner to uh, we got an airliner. It took off missing windows or possibly they popped out after they were in flight. That's still up for debate. And then, of course, there's the Houston Hobby um, mid-air. Well, not necessarily mid-air, but collision mid-ground yeah. collision yeah, yeah mid-ground collision <laughs> right. Well, right but yeah 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 well let's start with this i mean this is one of the craziest story i mean we this prompted the podcast because this has got to be one of the most bizarre things i've seen in my 20 plus 5 30 years in aviation ever ever heard of you know um so we got a pilot here um and and normally and our viewers know pilots go through so much testing and so much uh, dedication it requires to actually make it to be uh, an airline pilot and rigorous, uh, rigorous tra training and medical testing and all this stuff. It, it's very, very uncommon that you see a pilot, you know, use drugs or even talk about drugs or any of that stuff uh, just because there's just, there's so much involved, you know, with, with it and they don't want to risk their career or anything, but this is a unique case. So we've got a guy uh, uh, airline pilot high on psychedelic mushrooms that disrupted a flight crew. So yeah, there, this is all over you. I'm sure you might've saw it on the news, but we're going to kind of break it down for you. So this, this, uh, Joseph Emerson, he's a pilot for Alaskan airlines. Right. Um, and it, it sounds like he went, uh, he, he's been struggling with some depression, which I'll get into in, in a little bit. We'll, we'll talk about, he's 44, he's off duty. So this is a big thing. And for our viewers, one of the privileges of, uh, being a 121 or airline pilot is you can fly around for free. Um, a lot of times you ride in the cabin in that right, Sean. And sometimes you ride in the jump seat. Yeah. If there's a seat available in the back, you usually take it because it's way more comfortable than sitting in the jump seat. Yeah. Um, so you usually and and the flight crew would probably prefer you know the pilots would probably prefer you set back there anyway. But uh, these pilots would have preferred that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so here's this guy. He's 44. He's he lives in San Francisco Bay Area. It sounds like, and he's up in Washington or somewhere in the Pacific Northwest. Uh, apparently hanging out with his buddies. And I just read a New York Times article that gave a little more information. It's basically showing that that he was they had a bonfire or something they were all drinking he he, he admits uh whiskey and and beer um and then somebody hands him some mushrooms he's never done them before um and they're telling him hey it won't show up on a drug test it's no big deal whatever so this guy takes this stuff and uh it doesn't really go into detail what he experienced at the time i think it says actually the new york times article says it, he just thought the fire wasn't real and nothing was real and he was just fixated on the crackling of the fire well whatever i guess this stayed in the system so long he decides he's going to go back to uh his house uh he's not flying he's going to just uh, ride on the airlines for free back to san francisco and uh, uh he's been up at that point for over 40 hours so i guess when you're on this stuff you don't sleep or anything so he, he, I guess there was no, no more room in the cabin. It was Embraer 175, which is a really large uh, regional jet. It's not as quite as big as an airliner, but it's, it's big uh, wing. It looks like a mini 737. So he's riding in the jump seat 
for whatever reason, he says he doesn't even know it was real or whatever. He's paranoid. He thinks he's having a nervous breakdown. He does so. So he reaches up, and this is how bad this was. The fire handles in the Embraer are in the overhead in between. Well, we should explain. We should explain pilot, something yeah. here, Mike. This would be good yeah. for us too, uh, yeah. because most of the news reports when it first came out, and probably still people talking about it, they they kept saying he tried to shut off the engines or cut off the engines or shut down right. the motors. What he was actually doing was reaching for the fire handles and any jet aircraft, well, any jet aircraft I know of, has what we call a fire handle. And when you when you have an engine fire in one of these jets, this handle will start. Some sometimes there's a bell or an audible tune or something sound, but right. um, the handle will glow red, let you know which handle to pull. You have one for each engine, or yeah, maybe you have three or four if you had more engines. But when you pull that lever, it does several things. It cuts fuel to the engine. It disconnects the generator from the accessory box. It kills the hydraulic pumps. It'll disarm thrust reversers, uh, depending on which. Yeah, 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 which, yeah, yeah w- depending on which airplane you're flying, it could do anything from three things to seven different things. When you pull, it's a great check ride question too. They always ask. Yeah, yeah, they always. What happens when you pull the fire? Yeah, that's every every airplane's check ride, but um, yeah, that's what he was reaching for. But go ahead yes, with your yes. story, Mike. Yeah, yeah. So, so, um, but it indeed is just as if. It's like if you're in a car and you turn off the ignition. I mean, it has yep, the same, same effect. Thing. Or yep. if he would have took the throttles and you know pulled them all the way to cut off, if 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 it was that type of jet. So he reaches up and and he pulls the right fire handle and he actually pulls it and 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 there's an indication um, uh, on the screens and everything. And and from what I'm hearing. There's a delay. So basically it shuts the engine down and then it arms the fire suppression system. And then I think in this plane, it sounded like I don't, I'm not an expert on the Embraer, but it, it actually blows the bottle a few seconds later. Well, what um, the pilots are like, what the hell is going on? So they get up and they reach the, the guy, the, the co-pilot grabs the guy's hand and pushes the handle back in. So I guess in this airplane, it's not permanent. If you actually pull that, when it goes back in, it it prevents the the engine from dying. Um, so yeah. it was. I suppose as long as you got fuel running back into it, everything's turning. It should fire right back. Fire up. right back maybe, up. Maybe yeah. Maybe a compressor yeah. stall or something here or there, but um, totally. Yeah. So the engineers had in mind if you had a, uh, a crazed uh, jump seater that was high <laughs> on mushrooms, they put a little delay in there just in case. So, right. So he pushes yeah. it back on. So now they say there's a 90 second skirmish between the pilots and the jump seater. And um, they, they actually don't throw them out. They're pushing them around and all this stuff. He leaves the cockpit on his own will. Cause the guy's not right. Right. And he goes into the cabin and uh, 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 they lock the door obviously behind him. So the threat is now uh, uh, separated from the cockpit and then I guess he tells the flight attendant, hey, uh, you need to handcuff me right now because I'm out of my mind, you know, basically or whatever. Well, um, they they get him calmed down. They get him sitting down and everything. And then apparently at some point he goes for the door. So he's trying to open the main door um, um, in flight also, which obviously is a really bad situation also because it can uh, decompress the airplane. So um really just bizarre story so they arrest them they land immediately 
Um, the police arrest him. And this guy, man, this is not a, this is a very, very serious situation. I mean, um, he's getting 84, there's 80, 84 people on board. So he's getting 84 counts of attempted murder. Um, he's not really, that's just nuts to me. uh, Yeah. He's yeah. not really he's admitting to everything. He he initially told the um the crew I think that he had been up uh and wasn't feeling he was suffering from a, a panic attack and had been up but but later he admitted he was using those mushrooms. Um so yeah, I feel bad for the guy. He said, you know, it was the first time he did them. He said he just had a friend die um and he had been very depressed and uh uh yeah, I don't know. I haven't I've been looking here to see what he actually I don't, I don't think they know. I think he just, he hasn't been sentenced or anything. He was just charged. Gotcha. So there's no, yeah. Yeah. And his wife came forward, you know, saying he was just battling with depression, but you know, he's a good guy and his neighbors and all that, which I believe, I mean, he's made it this far in his career, but yeah, man, I'll tell you. And Sean, this is a, this is a topic that has been going around yeah, recently. The depression. The depression. Thing. Real quick before we get yeah. onto that. And I forget to mention this just, yeah. Is it, you know, anybody watching this thinking that, oh, well, opening that door in flight, chances yeah. are if they were at any kind of altitude, you can't open that door in an airliner. This this is just one of those general uh, nonsense pieces of, uh, I call it useless information. You know, I, I've always yeah. been one of those people that are loaded with useless information. <laughs> yeah. You can wheel out at any time, you know. Right. But um, at altitude, you cannot open the door of that airplane. It, it would be absolutely impossible, nor can you open a emergency exit on an airliner at altitude. It's a plug style door and you're looking at about 200 pounds per square inch of cabin pressure holding that door. You can't, you can move the handle. You can pull the handle on the emergency exit, but that, that plug is not coming out of there with that right. much force on there. And it was purposefully, designed that way i mean you didn't want to give the power of opening a door to a bunch of imbeciles in the back that could go you know that are back there drinking and whatever else you know <laughs> have you seen the, the wolf of wall street when they're high on those quaaludes on the oh, airplane God. they end up that getting all the seatbelt seat. extenders and tying them <laughs> yes it's crazy i love that movie it's in my top five movies (laughs) crazy and he doesn't remember any of it (laughs) (laughs) man man but but yeah um so this depression thing is an issue because the faa and for, for rightly so um they don't allow pilots to take any kind of mood altering substances um this goes for depression medicine. It goes for ADHD medicine, Adderall. You know, there's a lot. That's a very common medicine. And uh, I'm, uh, you know, Vivance. There's, there's probably quite a few viewers and smiring pilots that, that are on that. And uh, it's very, very commonplace. It helps people focus. And some people may say, well, you know, um, it would help me be a better pilot, and that might be true. But um, in the eyes of the feds, it has been like this forever is they don't want anything that could cloud your mind or judgment, any type of medication whatsoever. So what that's caused is um, a lot of pilots with with depression or ADHD or whatever uh, to go undiagnosed because um, if they if they get treated, um, then they're going to lose their flying job. And it's right. just kind of known. I mean, you can re- so uh, then they self-treat, you know, they self-medicate probably with alcohol and booze or sure. whatever this guy was trying to do, you know, because he's bad, upset about his friend dying and all that stuff. So 
I have heard, I don't know what you know on this topic, Sean, but I've heard that they're going to start loosening up and there's certain antidepressants and controlled usage they're going to allow and stuff. Do you know anything about that? I do not. I do yeah. not know anything about that, but I've, I've heard that for years that, you know, it, pilots, there's, there's a little bit of a stigma on, on pilots being drinkers and yeah. You know, some of that, that's how, that's the only drug that's legal for pilots to, you know, use as a coping mechanism. Yes. But I mean, it goes all the way back to, you know, everybody, a lot of people have seen the movie, The Right Stuff. But if you read the book, The Right Stuff, which is almost like a completely different story than that movie, actually the author of that book I heard was, was, uh, disappointed with the outcome of the movie versus the oh. that he wrote but the first quarter of that book is all about these military guys and drinking i'm mm-hmm. not exaggerating it's pretty much the first quarter of the book you know how they would go out and fly all day and they had these stressful jobs they're doing all these test pilot things right their day consisted of going up and flying these jets and then drinking for the rest of the night till they passed out with bed right, right. And so it's, it's had a stigma in the aviation world forever. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Another good book, if you're interested in uh, this topic is there's a book called flying drunk. uh, And it was written by Joseph Balzer. It was written in the late nineties, but uh, this guy wrote, uh, this guy flew an airliner drunk. It's a crazy story, but really he, he was out drinking the night before was a Northwest airlines crew, the captain, the co-pilot and the flight engineer. And they were in Fargo on an overnight and they went out and got hammered. And the, the captain was a hothead. He ended up getting in a fight. Uh, he's an ex Marine. And uh, you know, the, the, the bar owners ended up, they were bragging to everybody that they were pilots bar owners ended up calling uh, the police and then the police notified the FAA and then they stopped these guys, but didn't breathalyze them. uh, And they seemed fine, but then, so they took off and went from Fargo to Minneapolis, which was the uh, headquarters then at uh, headquarters for Northwest airlines. So the FAA notified Northwest airlines, Northwest airlines, then breathalyzed them when they landed in um, Minnesota and they all tested positive. So then there was this super high profile, uh, it was on every news channel uh, trial, um, and uh, you know the outcome of that's all in the book. But but the the incredible story is that Joseph Balzer, this guy that was the flight engineer, he actually ended up going to jail, uh, got stripped of all his r- ratings, and then quit drinking, uh, uh, reinvented himself, and actually took all his check rides over again, went back to flying night freight again, all the way up until and flew corporate and then got a job at american airlines uh uh just an incredible story and then finished his career out at american after you know changing his life over this this incident but you you there's an audio version and uh you know obviously a paper version but uh you you won't be able to put it down it's really good it goes through the whole trial and everything and his experience being he he there was a uh not to digress but but there was a he he that he was as you would think a pilot would be sent to a minimum security prison and he was well the warden there was paranoid the prison was directly next to a small ga airport and he was convinced that he could escape by running over the airport and stealing a plane the warden did 
So they moved him to this like supermax prison in Atlanta with all these thugs. And he describes in detail what it's like, you know, uh, 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 being involved in that. So highly recommend that book, but it wasn't a plug for the book, but you got me out on a tangent, but yeah, this is an issue. I mean, we had the guy in Denver, uh, that beat up the freaking parking uh, meter with an ax. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Crazy. Yeah, give that guy a beer. Damn. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that this stuff does happen, you know. Um, so that and the FA's watching. So maybe, maybe there'll be some good fallout from this. Uh, I don't know. Maybe it'll be worse. Maybe they'll double down on drug testing for us. Yeah, but that it, or it, the yeah, the I'm sure somebody was mentioning it on on one of the Facebook groups or whatever, you know, he was it what was it, 84, 84 counts of attempted murder. Somebody was like, well, more like 84 counts of attempted gliding. You know, yeah. they could have just got the airplane running again and blah, 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 blah. Yep. But, um, <laughs> and yeah. Then, Crazy. Yeah. So, Sean, what's well, this the one other thing about? is the FFDO program? It, you know, there could be oh. a lot of stuff that comes out of the FFDO program is the Federal Flight Deck Officer Program. Yes. Which is the, <clears throat> the program, government program that allows U.S. pilots to carry firearms you have to go get specially you have to be selected for it apply be selected it's a big deal to get in there um but they'll actually issue you a gun and so much ammunition to go train and uh all the training is done like in a seat and turning around and, and shooting from a seat you know and but what if those guys the question came up what if those guys were ffdos and one of them had a gun in the cockpit what then what would have happened ah you know so we could see some bad fallout from this, like that program going away. And um, yeah, like you said, with the testing, who knows? Yeah. You know, you, you, you don't know, man. So what's this one, Sean, this, uh, these, the blown windows on this Airbus. Yeah. So this is a, this happened over in England. There was a Airbus 321, a321, which is a, I mean, that's a, that's an airliner. It does not say the name of an airline. It says it was yeah. a charter. It was a charter flight. So it could have just run into Orlando. Yeah, could have just been a charter operator that does this. Um, but there was only nine passengers on the airplane. That, that When I first saw this story, I'm like, how in the hell does somebody not know there's a window missing? But then you start thinking about it. Well, there's actually two windows. There's the outside actual pressure vessel window. And then there's that little plastic window that holds the, you know, it, it's like the barrier in between the shade that goes up and down. You know, um, it's along that, that little plastic thing. That's nothing. That's just to keep people from touching the actual, um, you know, it also deals with keeping things from fogging up too. So the windows don't get all fogged up and iced over and stuff like that. But, um, so this thing was either missing windows or the windows were loose and popped out after the airplane started pressurizing and they made it to 14,000 feet. The, the crew started hearing uh, loud noises. The, one of the passengers reported it was loud enough it could have caused hearing damage. Um, it was colder in the airplane than it should have been. And they made it to about, and then that's when they realized something was going on with these windows over here. They could see the window stripping, flapping in the wind, and all the noise was coming from these two windows right next to each other. Uh, they made it to about 14,000 feet which is just about the time where the pressurization system really, really starts to take effect. It starts building the diff as soon as you differential pressure, as soon as you take off. But um, it, by and large, there's no damage that could have no, nobody. It wasn't high enough for anybody right. 
uh, to deal with any altitude sickness or anything like that. I mean, you can climb mountains in Colorado that are, you know, 14,000. Yeah. Yeah, feet. totally. Yeah. We used to uh, drop skydivers at 14,000. Yeah, there. exactly. Exactly. But um, so they get back on the ground. They notice two windows are right next to each other missing out of the side of this airplane. And a third one was about to come out. So, and that's, that's about all the story we have. Nothing else has been released on it. Nobody was, yeah. hurt. nobody was, but it, it's just a, the way the story was presented in the media. When you, I don't know, when you saw the initial story, it was like right. airliner takes off without windows installed. Right. <laughs> and I don't know. I thought that was after actually digging into it a little bit. Um, I thought that was a little extreme. It's possible that somebody was doing maintenance on the airplane or somebody hit the right. airplane with something and knocked something loose and they popped out after it started pressurizing. But um, it would have been difficult to notice that the windows were missing if they yes. were missing. Um, there's only eight passengers on the airplane. Nobody's sitting in that seat most likely to say, Hey, something looks weird here. Or um, it's possible during a pre-flight uh, a crew member may not have looked up at the windows. You know, most time you're, checking out your tires and landing gear, your movable control surfaces and stuff, you know, glancing at every one of those windows may not be in your normal routine. However, right. maybe it sounds like it should, it should be. be. Yeah. But, um, Man. yeah. Yeah. When I did my, uh, Learjet initial a long time ago on the Lear 35 at CAE in Dallas, they had a, uh, Lear windshield, uh in the classroom an actual one you could see and then oh, they yeah. shot it with I like remember that five different guns and you could see the impact of on the glass and the webbing none of the guns went through but i remember one of them was a 30-06 so somebody and they had the range on there you know this guy shot this windshield with a 30-06 at like you know 50 feet or something and it it it, it made a mark but nothing like i mean these are actual bulletproof glass so yeah it's yeah, serious I mean, that- yeah, I don't know about that Lear windshield, man. It was thick. That was a yeah. thick, thick piece of glass. Yeah, yeah. And then we got another one, busy, busy week or so, two weeks in aviation. This one was sure. really bad. I mean, this is just a complete pilot air problem. But yeah. um Houston Hobby Airport, um, and and you guys can look this airport up, but basically it's a very busy uh airport probably second busiest in houston george bush is the big one but they they have intersecting runways just like chicago midway so you know i think it's runway two two and four and then three four right or something i don't know but they 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 intersect in the middle and uh uh when you get a takeoff clearance um they can either just say you're clear for takeoff when you're sitting waiting or they used to say you could taxi in position and hold now they change that terminology to line up and wait. What that means is you're not cleared for takeoff, but you can get ready. So you can get the airplane all lined up, ready to go, hold the brakes, and then when they say go, you can take off. And this is common in very busy airports when they're trying to trying to move the metal. So they did this. They had a Hawker, uh, Hawker 800 XP, which actually I used to fly. It's a nice, sizable business jet. Pulls out on one of the runways. His clearance is to line up and wait. And the reason why is... They've got a Cessna Mustang, which is a very small, newer, modern business jet landing on the intersecting runway. So they want him in position so they can launch him as soon as the Mustang is clear, uh, but they don't want him to take off. Right. Well, he, 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 I don't, for whatever reason, there's some confusion in the cockpit. 
and they confuse the lineup and wait with the takeoff and go. Um, so they take off. The plane starts accelerating down the runway. The Mustang is landing, and they can't necessarily see it because it's an intersecting runway, so they'd have to look hard to the right. Um, the Mustang crosses just behind the Hawker, and the wing of the Mustang hits the tail of the Hawker, and you should see some of these pictures. It did quite a bit of damage. Um, unbelievably, nobody was hurt. The Hawker, they don't abort because I guess they're going too fast. They actually take the airplane in the air, um, and that's a tough airplane. You know, It's an old-school plane. They take that jet in the air, fly it around the traffic pattern, and land. Everybody survives. But I'll tell you what, man, I wouldn't want to be those pilots, man, because all of that is recorded. Yeah. Holy cow, man. <laughs> True. Yeah, they, uh, they're in a situation where they just got to realize they screwed up, and there's no – yeah, that Hawker is built like a tank, though. I've I've flew one too. I'm typed in. I've recently flown one. That yeah. uh, it blows my mind how much it's made by, uh, you know, uh, Hawkers over in England. It's an English. It's a British tank. We yes. call it. I mean, everything on that thing is over manufactured, built to the it, hill, man. Yeah, yeah. You know, and this is reminiscent, Sean, of the Comair crash. So a lot, a lot of um. A lot of people uh, uh, think, well, where was the controller? You know, why wasn't he? He started rolling. Well, I read an article that ATC actually said something to him, and that I guess they ignored it. I don't know what the hell was going on. We'll 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 hear that once the cockpit voice recorder comes out and everything. But the the controllers actually did see him rolling. Apparently, is one article I read. Um, there was a case huh. in Lexington, Kentucky, and then they've now changed the configuration of the airport due to this. But they had a short runway and a long runway, and the thresholds met. So you, when you were clear for takeoff, you'd make a hard left turn, and and you would be on the long runway, or you could make a slight left turn. But they both started in the same position, and you'd be on a short runway. One was like three thousand, the other one was like nine thousand. Well, it was like six o'clock in the morning. Comair, uh, which was a commuter airline for Delta, that's now out of business, but uh, in a Canada Air regional jet clears them for takeoff they line up with the short runway instead of the long one the the guy in the tower no was looking down he which he didn't get in trouble i don't think i mean they clear him for takeoff i don't know he was getting coffee or whatever right and they start rolling on the short runway and they don't have enough and they hit the trees and it was real bad lots of people died um yep. i think the the co-pilot didn't the, the co-pilot, co-pilot lived? lived yeah man yeah man. yeah there's a lot of there's a lot of I don't want to say questions, but there was a lot of goofy stuff going on there. I mean, I think that the the lights weren't even on for that runway. So now there's yeah. a question of that. But it could have been one of those low, foggy kind of – But it was the first right. flight of the morning, too. It was super early in the morning. You know, right. it was at 5.30 or 6 a.m. departure. So you got the grogginess going on. But, yeah, the controller is absent from all of this after he clears him for taking off. Right. And, yeah. Where, where did he go? Was he not paying attention? Yeah. Yep. There was always a lot of questions about how, how that could have happened. Yeah. The, yeah. The lights not being on really bothered me the most. Yeah. 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 Now we've got some systems when you're clear for takeoff, the lights will change and you know, the r- hot spots. you could talk to him about that, Sean. A lot of times there's hot spots uh, on the airport. Yeah. Yeah. We have, um, yeah, that accident 
brought up all kinds of things. The FAA went in, looked at stuff. It, yeah, Mike, I think you mentioned, but they redesigned the airport. They went in and chopped that piece of the runway out and put in more taxiways. So now that mistake can't even be made. But on your charts now, you have uh, these little red circles on the airport diagrams where you have multiple taxiways or uh, runways to intersect, or possibly there's even spots like, uh, I think Boston has some of these where it's just, it's all concrete. There's no grass separators or barriers and they'll mark that right. a hot spot because it's very difficult to decipher what's a taxiway, what's a ramp, what's a, and that always bothers me anyway, because as soon as a little bit of snow gets on the ground, it's, it's a disaster because you can't see the lines. Sometimes <laughs> yeah. the, it's, it, 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 there's no grass separating anything. It's just one big concrete pad. Um, right. But yeah, so they got that hot spot thing on the charts now. Um, there's, uh, I think some of the, well, I don't want to say that, but I mean, there was a lot of, there was a lot of changes that came from that accident, but yeah, the co-pilot lived, uh, but he was in intensive care for a long time, maybe even a coma or something. Yeah, but it was just a real nasty accident, I, and they say that I guess a lot of the passengers. I don't know how much I should dive into this, but the yeah. passengers were alive, and the airplane had caught on fire. Yeah, yeah, they couldn't. They couldn't get out. Um, but I've heard this about airline crashes in the past. Um, you know, chances are if you're in an airline airliner crash. Uh, airplane crash in general, you will survive the crash. It's, um, it, you know, smoke will get you or you'll get burned. What happens is those aluminum brackets you're sitting on on those seats, they're mm -hmm. in impact. The seats will break off from the fuselage. And now you have all these seats just clambering around inside the cabin, breaking people's arms and legs and backs and stuff. Ooh. And, uh, you know, and then you have the potential for fire and nobody can get out of the thing. That's yeah, a, it's not good, man. Yeah, that's that's a, kind of that's a that's a gloomy story. <laughs> no, but but you know, from you're a former survival instructor, so you've uh, you dealt with this kind of stuff and taught that kind of stuff. But but yeah, this it's just the important thing is here is is better cockpit procedures. You know, um, uh, it's a very common thing. You, the taxi lights will be on for taxi, but you don't turn the actual landing light on until you're clear for takeoff. It's a big one. I'm a big yeah. pet peeve of mine. Yeah. Yes. And then same thing when you're clear to land, because you can cause a crash the same way. Uh, you know, you're clear for the visual, you're making your way into land at the airport, but then you're not actually clear to land by the tower. Um, and uh, so clear to land typically means turn on the landing light. That means you're clear to land. That prevents you then from landing without a clearance, um, which could cause the same type of problems because they're all human man the controllers make mistakes the pilots make mistakes i mean you just you, and then right. that's why it's good to have two pilots to double check e each other you know when you're in a single pilot environment it's tough you know sometimes now you got a lot of software aiding and helping but in this particular case i mean yeah uh, uh i yeah. think it was just the the pilots uh maybe you're it's i mean i i guess it's a it's an advantage to talk about with some of our uh viewers but it may come out in who knows but that these guys are really inexperienced pilots but that's kind of the the nature of what we're dealing with there's the, people are upgrading so quickly and advancing to the yeah. airlines and stuff like that aviation's uh, moving so fast i just saw an argument uh there was an article 
on one of the Facebook groups that the FAA, some of the airlines have got with the FAA to address um, the inexperienced levels of the pilots yeah, was a, flowing into the airlines. And yep. yeah, this is a, this is a thing that's happening right now. The, 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 there's a huge wall street journal article that just came out. Yeah. About, about that and about how inexperienced some of the captains are at, at some of the airlines and that these were corporate pilots, but that all, the, the airlines draw from the corporate world and then they hire less and less expense experienced people because that's all that's available, you know? Um, so this is a byproduct of our viewers are watching because they want to become professional pilots and the market is better than ever. And that's great. And it is great, but you know, this is a byproduct. This is a negative of that. You know, um, it used to take, uh, I mean, I, I flew in the right seat of a hawker. Um, but you know, by the time I was probably, uh, um, at 30 years old plus when I was doing it. And, uh, I had, you know, thousands of hours, uh, in, in different jets, you know, before I was in the right seat of even something like that. So, so now, now, you know, it might be, you know, a guy has two years of experience and he's in that, you know, and right. it's not bad. I mean, a lot of people can do it, but you know, some things can be missed, you know? Yeah. But, uh, yeah, yeah. It's just, uh, interesting though. We got these, uh, a couple different interesting stories here that anything else in the news you know sean that's uh, been good lately i don't know i heard that there's this <laughs> pro pilot playbook podcast that's uh real awesome if you're wanting to yeah. become a pilot <laughs> check out that uh, uh check yeah check out that wall street uh journal article on the pilot shortage that's that was really good i i'm gonna scrub the number but i want to say in the article it says that it was either 40, but I think it might be 60% of commuter airlines staff turnover every year because the major airlines are sucking them up. Oh, yeah. I yeah. believe that. And, Absolutely. and freight is softening. And this article was saying that there's these huge bonuses being off. So FedEx and UPS are starting to possibly lay off. Uh, mm -hmm. So they're everybody's fighting over these pilots because they're qualified and um, there's a lot of interesting thing happening. There's a captain shortage, um, you know, now because a lot of guys aren't upgrading and then it's just, uh, there's a lot of, a lot of turmoil in the industry due to labor. Yeah. Well, it's just in general, the, the pilot shortage has, it's created all these little, uh, well, I don't know what you want to label all these tiny little other little swirls of problems yeah. that nobody ever would in a million years thought would be an issue. You know, you got the major airlines taking the co-pilots from the regional airlines in, instead of the captains, which is blowing my mind. That's the biggest one for me. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. No. you'd think, you know, the typical way, you know, you become a captain and then you move up to the, I'm sure that's still happening, but they're in droves First officers, co-pilots are moving from regionals right to the major. It's crazy. Crazy. Mm -hmm. Man. Awesome. Well, it's good news for our viewers. So yes. we want to encourage everybody uh, that, that's interested in aviation and flying to just take that action and get out to the airport. It's really great. Um, if you're just in the initial stages and you want uh, a clear pathway of how to get started, select a flight school and everything, check out our course, the Pro Pilot Playbook. Yep. There's more information on ProPilotPlaybook.com. We also have our live coaching that we're offering. Uh, you can pay an additional amount and, and get on our weekly calls where we uh, 
we you can ask us anything. It's basically a Zoom call, like what you're watching right now, with a bunch of aviators on there, and it's, and you can learn from the other people. And uh, actually, we're seeing some of the people coach the other people because they might ask a question that another right. student is is already answered. So, uh, uh, sorry we missed last week, but we're uh, we're still dedicated to this, and uh, we appreciate if you could pound the like button and uh, subscribe to the channel. That really helps us. Yep. And if you have a question for us, you'd like us to answer on the air, you can email us at podcast at propopplaybook.com and we're still looking for those video questions videotape yourself asking the question and we'll play it right here on the show and uh, play your video and we'll answer your question sounds great have a good one all right we'll see you guys